Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hello to you, the automotive faithful. I am Reverend Hatfield, and I welcome you to Driven Radio Show, where we bring you the gospel of internal combustion. Here with me in the Driven Radio pulpit is our engineer and co-host, Minister Mark Groves. Testify! We are coming to you from the Temple of All Things Automotive and Brisk. Freaking oh, dude. Brisk. Where did this come My from? My hands have not been this cold in so long. I feel I like mean, you've been scooping ice. Yeah, yeah, constantly. And I'm like, that. this is wrong. No, bad weather. Bad weather. But coming to you from Driven Radio Studios, where it is positively Arctic, here's the upside. <laughs> I'm leaving tomorrow. Shut up. I'm getting the hell out of this. Damn you. I'm going to go to Barrett-Jackson in Scottsdale, <gasps> where today people were bitching about a high of 56. You're going to have to keep me, by the way, posted on that 56 Plymouth they have there. They've got oh, a 1956 oh, yeah. Plymouth, the blue one with the flames and the, the big engine and the tires and the things and the stuff. Yeah, I, uh, that sounds perfectly you. It's it's right up my alley. Uh, also down at Barrett Jackson, Vlad the Impaler returns. <gasps> my 61 Impala hot rod that I sold to somebody this summer and was perfectly happy to sell. Apparently, he's not perfectly happy to keep it and is <laughs> going to try it. It's going at no reserve, so that sucker's selling. It's become a prostascoot. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I can't so say anything. I can't say anything bad about my car. I certainly loved having it. It was a lot yeah. of fun. Uh, just like our buddy Chris DeGanchi always says that with that 409 and the dual quads on it, every time you got gas, you had to shut the car off so the pump could catch up. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little expensive to drive with any frequency. Yeah, and that's what the rumble was. Money, 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 money. It absolutely was. <laughs> and for the first time in a bazillion years, we're going to fly non-cattle car. We're going to fly on American with actual assigned seats. What? Yeah. kind of like, like all them a fancy folk, yeah, man. Not going to know how to act. You're going to have the good peanuts. <laughs> Cashews. I'm looking forward to it. I'm ready to get out of this. The rest of the week, it's supposed to be mid 60s and and oh my god, and uh, Scottsdale, which is not very warm for them, but damn warm for us. Oh, dude, yeah. I, I'll trade you. <laughs> Pretty sure when you came through the door, it was spitting snow outside. It wasn't was. It? Yeah. Yeah. They, <laughs> the suck was slowly cranking right on up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go upstairs and hide under a heated blanket. <laughs> Our special guest this week is John Mahovitz. John was born and raised in Southern California. He became involved with the gasoline and motor oil advertising in high school when he and his dad used to enjoy walking around the Pomona car swap meet. In 2011, John started dealing in higher-end gas and oil items with an emphasis on genuinely rare pieces. He's always had a great interest in researching and documenting the history of particular brands. And in 2015, he was asked to come join Morphe's Auction as their head of automobilia and petrol... petrol on, pet, John, say that word for me. I can't say it. Yeah. Petroliana. Petroliana. Okay. Petroli- well, oh, I met her. I think Isn't I she, knew that girl. She's Russian. She had that snaggle tooth. <laughs> yeah, I used oh to my. hang out outside of the skating rink, didn't <laughs> yeah. she? Yeah. Never lonely. <laughs> John, welcome to Driven Radio. Hey, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate you guys having me. Now, my first question, I'm going to good jump in here feet first right off the bat. My brother worked for an APCO station when he was 12 years old, and this is, you know, 19 dickety two. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, the the APCO signs and stuff, do they have any value? Yeah, of course. These days, right now, 
anything that's porcelain, tin, that's related to any kind of service station has some kind of value somewhere. Um, you know, with, with something like APCO not being as old as some of the stuff that's primarily oh. collected, you'd be surprised at, at what an APCO sign would bring these days. Wow, and that's, that is kind of amazing because I'm like, not as old. That was 50-some years ago, dude. Hey, and hey, That's hey, not hey, old hey, enough? Hey, oh, hey. damn. <laughs> I got to up my game. Yeah, my, 50, my uh, 50 is considered new. You yeah, know, do you know like, how happy cool. both of us are, are to hear that something in, in a, <laughs> around 50 years old is not considered <laughs> old? Oh, we're thrilled to death. <laughs> so you got bitten by this bug when you were in high school. What was the first thing you bought, and where did you get it? Yeah, so I uh, I used to walk Pomona with my dad uh, when I was a kid, and I remember specifically starting out with quart oil cans. Uh, oh. They were really cheap. They were highly graphic. They were cool. Um, and that there was where I met a lot of the guys that I still am in touch with today. Uh, those guys were super kind to me. They would they would give me cans, uh, you know, they would, uh, you know, it, at that time it was $1, $5, $10 at the most, oh, yeah. you know, for, for what I could afford, you know. Um, so I would <laughs> buy them and, you know, we'd, we'd go back to my dad's office there in Ontario. And uh, this was like really, right when eBay was really cooking, you know. Oh, boy, yeah. Going. Yeah, and so I learned about eBay. Um, and when I was a kid, you know, 13, 14, 15, we were cleaning cans and listing them up on eBay. My, my dad's secretary had like a digital camera, you know, so uh, we kind of fell right into it right from there. Uh, it started with, with quarter oil cans. Do you, do you get the feel that John as a younger guy when he was in high school, his dad's secretary had a digital camera. When I was in high school, the gal who worked for my dad had uh, one of the Kodak 110s with the film that ran from one barrel to the other. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> John, don't think I was picking on you. I think it's cool that, <laughs> no, you, no. that somebody younger than no. us would be involved in this. That's fantastic. <laughs> when, when I got involved with this, I was always considered the, the young. Everyone called me the kid, the young kid. You know, I, uh, For the longest time, my name was New John. Cause there were so many old Johns, you know, so they were all really cool, you know, and I got to give all those guys a ton of credit, you know, yeah. because they were always so nice to me and just, you know, they were super cool. You know, they were open to, you know, a, a kid wanting to get involved in the hobby. Your first cigarette, your first girly magazine, your first beer, <laughs> your first hangover. <laughs> gave, awesome. uh, Thanks, gentlemen. <laughs> gave him his first beer in an oil can. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so as anybody is involved in any hobby, their tastes develop and they change. Uh, what is What interests you now? What do you find cool? I don't know. I would say the past six, seven, eight years, I've always been focused on quart cans just because I love them. I've always kind of had limited space, so they work well in limited space. But primarily, uh, right now, I've been really focused on globes, gas pump globes. Ooh. So anything traffic from the West Coast, anything, um, you know, Signal, Hancock, Sunset, the really early brands, independent brands, that's what I was really chasing. They're, it's, it's a limited market because people are afraid of glass. You know, they're afraid oh, of yeah. breaking, yeah. things like that. So... Uh, I don't know. I, I've always liked them, and, and now, you know, that's kind of what I see myself chasing more and more. Well, as we're talking to you, we can uh, here on Zoom, uh, we can see you've got several right yeah. there back behind yeah. you, don't you? 
There you go. Yeah, I keep, pretty sweet. I keep trying to turn my phone so that I can uh, see John in an upright fashion, and every time I turn it, the phone turns him. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I uh, I've always, I've always liked them, and you know, I couldn't buy them at first. There was no way I, I could yeah. afford them or anything like that. And as time went on, I just one, one at a time. Uh, that's how I got them. You know, for the longest time, uh, and. I've been going to collector car auctions forever. So for the longest time, collector car auctions have started every sale with uh, a little bit of automobilia and some other interesting stuff. And now they're, especially Meekum, they're selling entire collections. uh, Correct. Giant, several hundred piece collections. Why is that so hot right now? And uh, if you can, educate us a little bit about the market. Yeah, so you know, Meekum is an incredible brand. Um, you know, primarily known for for automotive, but they've come across some incredible collections in the last few years. And around 2016, they sold one of the one of the greatest gas and oil collections that's ever going to exist. Um, I think as time has gone on, you know, the car guys. I mean, I think they've always been interested in signage and stuff to put in their garage, put in with their cars. But as time has gone on, the prices have gone up exponentially, really. And, and so it's kind of driving more and more demand. There's more and more interest. Uh, you got television shows and things like that. You got what's going on at Bear Jackson this weekend uh, and everything going on there with cars and gas and oil and, and, and advertising. That it all kind of works hand in hand. I would say over the last 10 years, it has just done nothing but skyrocket. There hasn't been yeah. one moment of of, well, you know, we're going into kind of a valley here. I would say probably since 2008, it has just been on a a rocket ship, uh, straight up. You see uh, lots of activity in the market right now, and everything seems to be on fire, like you're saying. But among all of that, what's the hottest stuff? What's trending? What are people looking for uh, more than any other? Well, as far as the the high-dollar stuff, the big-ticket stuff, it's really coming into the ultra rare in ultra high condition, just like any other collectible. I see a lot of the the bigger guys, the bigger money coming involved, and they're they're starting at a hundred. They're they're not well. I'm going to get a few cans, and I'm going to get a few globes, and get a few pumps. They'll contact auction houses, they'll contact brokers, they'll contact dealers, and say, you know, hey, I've got X amount of dollars to spend. This is what I want. You know, can you find it for me? Things like that. So. They're kind of cutting out a lot of learning curve that a lot of people had. Trending stuff is going to be anything nine plus condition, ultra rare graphics. We always kind of talk about the, I called it like the, the holy trinity, which is rarity, condition, subject matter. How rare is it? How good is it? And what does it look like? Uh, just like anything else, you know, any car or any type of artwork or anything like that, that's what's really pushing it. But lately, that's always pushed, but it's, over the past, I would say three to five years has pushed pieces that were selling for say $20,000. That was a very high ticket. Well, now it's $100,000 with people in line wanting to, you know, eager to buy at the next sale. So this has done the same thing collector cars have done. I was looking around at some stuff online today and I've got a soft spot for 70s and 80s Ferraris. I looked up a car that generally for Ferraris, didn't sell for much, and it's the Ferrari. It's uh, 356, 400, or 412i. 
it was hard, uh, Ferrari's shot at a two-door sedan. Typically, those sold really low like Ferrari Mondials did. I saw one that somebody was asking over $200,000 for today. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, when the hell did these get to be $200,000 cars? That's not right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been very similar in gas and oil because, uh, you know, I have a really tight group of friends that we all are involved in the hobby pretty deep. And, you know, we'll talk about upcoming sales through all the different auction companies thinking the last one of these sold in 2016 for, say, 10000 you know, it's probably going to hit 50000 this go round. So it's, it's jumped. Um, I don't know how to describe it. Just, it's not a, a normal jump of say 10 to 15 or, you know, it's 10 to 50 or 10 to 40 or 10 to 60. You know, it's, it's out of control in some ways. Is there a part of the country where things sell better than others? You know, Southern California has forever been considered Mecca for all things car. Do things in Southern California draw a premium or hundred percent? Yep. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So, and I'm just being, you know, maybe I'm biased because I'm a Southern California guy, but uh, the best stuff that was ever created for gas and oil for advertising was created for brands around Southern California, Oregon, Washington. Okay. Uh, all of the cool looking early brands, early independents that you see in, uh, you know, early Los Angeles photographs. I mean, that's the stuff that everybody chases. And one, one cool thing that I, I learned growing up um, was I would spend a lot of time at USC Library, speaking of Southern California, and they have a digital archive there. And that was where I learned, a, I, I got to put quite a bit of years into just a short amount of time by searching those digital archives for all the photography of Los Angeles, because you could zoom into those photographs in the archive and see stuff that yeah. nobody had ever even seen before. Uh, and, and I'd go to shows and stuff with pictures and have you seen this? Did you, I got to show this to you. You know, like, have you ever seen this can? Have you ever seen this neon? Have you ever seen this? You know, and guys had never seen it before. So that's where it's at. Man. This is, I, I got to tell you, I don't know a lot about this, Mark. And it, for stuff in the collector car world, that's a little odd for me that I find right. something I really don't know anything about. And uh, first of all, I'm starting to think, well, how much room do I have in my garage? <laughs> uh, you know, ha having a warehouse is, is uh, not good for this, this kind of thing. Uh, no. How many pieces do you have in your personal collection, John? Uh, what's your, and, and what's your favorite thing and what's the strangest thing you own? Well, if you had to count what I've got, I mean, it's in the hundreds, which is very small in comparison to the majority of yeah. the major out there in the world. I mean, we're talking from from a matchbook to a high-end globe or neon. Um, but I always worked in limited spaces. So, you know, I, I, only, I always went after pump plates, you know, because generally pump plates are the biggest is about 12 inches around. Uh, I always went for cans because they're five inches tall. As time's gone on, like I said, I got it more into globes and things like that. You know, if I had to pick, honestly, one of my favorite pieces are these ones right here. I've got a Hancock gasoline 15 inch globe with the strutting rooster on it yeah it's cocker to walk since we do this <laughs> since we do this in an audio medium but uh mark and i can see john yeah he's sitting and, at a desk and behind him is a shelf and it's it's just completely populated with gas pump globes and they're really cool looking we may have to put a couple of those up uh, with the show when we post it online yeah you bet 
So any any of the early West Coast Globes is that's my favorite stuff. But the Hancock that was given to me by a friend uh, after we did it. I helped him with a gas pump. Uh, it was a one honestly one of the very what I would consider one of the very first actual collectors of gas and oil. Um, you know, he he gave that to me as like a, a thank you for helping him, and oh, so I've always kept that cool. right next to it. I got a, a really nice Mohawk, which is. Mohawk's one of the most highly sought after brands. And if you talk about, um, you know, trending, that's a, that's a brand that's just gone through the roof in the next few months, we're going to see pieces sell that. And the last time they sold brought 40 to 50,000. Oh and this God. time it could be, it could be anything at this point. So what's the strangest thing in your collection? Oh, strangest thing. Oh man. I got a lot of weird hodgepodge stuff. Um, I've got a lot of like automotive stuff related to skeletons shifter knobs okay like now that. you got mark yeah <laughs> <laughs> wait what <laughs> yeah you know i've got a lot of really wacky folk art stuff you know stuff that people had had made by hand and things like that i always loved people for a long time they kind of made fun of me because i would buy a lot of signs that just uh-huh. said stuff that just said something you know yeah. uh like i have a i have a, a sign on my desk right here that says no goods sold at retail <laughs> and yeah, I just thought that that was funny. And I've, I've got a, a really cool paperweight that somebody carved and it's got a hand on it. It says hands off nice. other skeleton stuff. And that's probably my most quirky stuff. When people come into my office thinking they're going to see some powerhouse gas and oil and they see some weird, you know, funky skeleton thing or, <laughs> or, or uh, some weird wacky folk art carving or something like that. Best sign I've ever seen. And I tried to talk him out of it for the longest time. A uh, good friend of mine, who I, I guess should remain nameless because of the content of this, uh, swiped a sign from a Goodyear tire dealer in Lawrence that says, mm-hmm. one hour mounting guaranteed. <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. Always yeah. like that. I tried so hard to get it from him. <laughs> yeah, in the, early, in the early teens and 20s, there's a lot of cool door signs, and they say something related to no beggars and no peddlers, no agents, things like that. And they come in all different words, you know, and I, I've always collected those two just because I thought they were so quirky looking, you know, it is odd. no beggars allowed. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Things like that. I, I always thought were really cool. All right. Mark and I are both motorcycle guys and we're wondering what's the market for motorcycle signs, stuff like Harley and Indian. When it, when you talk about the Everest of, of advertising, Harley and Indian are going to be right there at the top just because of one ultimate desirability. Everybody loves a motorcycle. Two, rarity is beyond belief because there weren't anywhere near as many motorcycle dealerships as there were car dealerships, for example. And you've got these major brands like Indian and Harley, but then you get into the earlier stuff, Excelsior and Thor and things like that. And then it's like, it's all, you know, it's going to go through the roof. In 2015, according to your bio and people we talked to, you joined Morphe's Auction. Tell us about the company, and obviously your specialty is uh, Petroliana, now that I know how to say You got it. You got it. You nailed it. Now I know how to say that word. Watch me go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, actually during that time, um, Morphe's was in the process of selling the Kyle Moore collection, which was a major four-part collection that everybody knew about at that time. And so I was uh, flying from flying and driving from California back to Pennsylvania 
working for a lot of different guys that didn't have the time to go out to the auction, but wanted me to view the items, inspect the items and bid for them, uh, you know, according to what we thought that they were worth. So uh, during that time, I got to meet Dan. I, I had met him briefly before, but I got to spend a little bit of time with him. And, um, you know, I, I told him what I was doing, what I was there for, and hoping to get some stuff for myself as well. And uh, we hung out for, for the whole weekend there. And at the end of the weekend, he said, you should just come for work for me. Uh, and at the time, I had another really good friend that was working there too. And I asked him, and you know, can I come, you know, work under you? And yeah, let's go. And, and so it's kind of just, once again, it just took off from there. Um, never really looked back. I moved uh, cross country to come and, and work with Dan and everybody. Um, it's, been, it's been phenomenal nonstop uh, ever since we started. How did you convince yourself to leave Southern California for Pennsylvania? <laughs> oh man, I, 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 trust me, I, like I said, I, I love California. Uh, you know, and my wife and I both are from California. She's from San Diego. I'm from outside of Los Angeles. So we we're California people, but I, you know, I had told her, you know, this is a really, really good opportunity for, for us. Uh, and also at the time, you know, we were, we were in the process of maybe wanting to buy a house and things like that. And, and with what we were doing and what was going on in California at that time, it was just impossible for us to find a house, you know, that was going to be a reasonable price starter home for a young couple. And so there we really any. had nothing to lose. You know? <laughs> there aren't any. Uh, my sister lives in San Diego and just bought a new house. And she told me what she paid for it. And I took my breath away. That was unbelievable. Yeah. How many different Automobilia and Petroliana auctions are there every year? And obviously, Morphe's is not the only outlet for this, but certainly they <laughs> seem to be doing larger scale auctions than most. How many auctions are there? How many of them are Morphe's auctions? Generally, uh, Morphe's will put on two gas and oil sales a year. There'll be one in the springtime, and then there's one that we associate with Hershey, with the car show. Okay. So... Our auction takes place uh, the two days prior to uh, Hershey starting. So everybody comes into town. We're 45 minutes from Hershey. Everybody comes to the auction, enjoys it, and then heads on out and goes to Hershey for the week. Uh, with the way things have gone in the past year, like, for example, we're adding a sale this year most likely. So we'll have three um, premier gas and oil sales. Uh, and then you've got, I would say, four other auction houses a year that are probably putting on at least two. And then depending on what's coming to market, you know, they're not always premier sales, but I mean, you've got thousands and thousands of lots selling per year of, of gas and oil. Are there online auctions for this? Uh, there have to be. I know that, oh, yeah. I know that Meekum does online, does Morphe's? Absolutely. Yeah. So in a Morphe sale, any Morphe sale, uh, we, we offer bidding on four platforms. So you're going to be in-house, in-person, if you want. You can be on the telephone. Uh, you can bid through live auctioneers. You can bid through proxy bid if you want to. You could also bid. Morphe's has its own platform. Oh, cool. Uh, so you can sit at home in Southern California and uh, you know bid, bid, bid away. Uh, but the majority of every major auction house is going to offer it that way. Are you writing up all the catalog descriptions for Morphe's? For the gas and oil i do write every single description oh, wow. for, for gas and oil i help i uh, contribute a little bit with the country store uh, advertising but my good friend brian has kind of taken that over so i just kind of step in when i when i'm needed but uh, generally it 
for the past few years, it's been nonstop with gas and oil. I don't have time to do anything else. On average, how many pieces of Petroliana and, and Morphe's auction? We do try to limit it, but we average, I would say, 800 to 1,000 lots <laughs> per sale. So we'll do two days. You know, we'll, we'll try to do four to 500 lots per day. So it's a, it's a full day. You know, you know we're doing many? about 50 to 60 lots an hour. That's a lot of writing. Now, when you say lots, are you talking about like eight or 10 quart cans or is it no, they're selling no, can per no, can no, per can? Single. Oh, yeah. my God. We don't, yeah, we don't always, uh, you know, like I said, it depends on what comes to market. But generally with Morphe's is we want to try to focus on items that are worth $1,000 or more per lot. But generally there's, you know, I get yelled at for this all the time and I just don't care there's killer gas and oil that's $300, $400, $500. And I take it every single time because I, I want that stuff as well. The, the beginning guys that are getting involved, they're not coming, you know, with huge pockets. And, and I, like I said, there, there's, there's fantastic, great, not even starter stuff that's 200, 300, 400. So I'm taking those lots too. One lot is generally going to be one item. I look over every single piece, write the description, do the grading and the estimate. Speaking of newbies or guys who are just getting into this, where do you go to research an item and learn about its history? I'm sure it's it's mostly on the web, but is there a, a common point of reference for stuff like this? Um, and and when you do it, how do you how do you price it? How do you know what that stuff's worth? Yeah, so uh, that that's a little complicated, but. Uh, generally, a lot of the times people are going to be looking up um, auction results to find your, your price points. That, okay. That's where I, a lot of the, the newer guys getting started, I think that that's where they're uh, finding a lot of their information is from completed sales, which, you know, just for example, you could go on Morphe's and look up every single lot that we sold in our last sale and how much it sold for. And if you click on those specific lots, you can see the grade the estimate that was provided because because grading is really important when it comes to determining the value of the pieces it's just like anything else so a lot of it's coming from that and then i've also noticed this crazy uptick and it's really cool in the social media world facebook primarily it's got a really great presence of these these great groups that people have, have put together that have thousands of members and it, they've started networking really well uh, buying and selling that way you have a lot of reputable dealers on there too. They, they put out some powerhouse stuff just right there on, on, on Facebook. Anything like this that's worth that kind of money probably has some fake pieces that are out there or some, uh, some replicas. How do you, yeah. how do you determine authenticity on the stuff that you bring in? Uh, is it easy to spot a fake? For me, for the, for the most part, the, the normal run of the mill fakes. Yeah. It's easy for me to spot because I've seen them so many times. But as time has gone on, the fakes have improved dramatically. Um, and now it's coming down to specific sizes, specific gauges of material, specific oh, wow. colors. With the big money that's gotten involved in it, you know, of course, it brings on the, the fakes and the counterfeit stuff. Fortunately, there's a, a huge network out there of people that you can source to look at a genuine piece. There's catalogs dating back to, oh gosh, the 30s and 40s, where you, you can see specific sizes, specific colors, and things like that. 
but yeah, there there is a lot of fakes that people get duped on them every single day. And I'm not yeah. talking about getting duped for a few hundred bucks. Uh, you know, they're getting duped for big money. When you are grading items that come in for auction or things you're looking at, what are the different levels of quality and how do you grade them? Is there a, a hard and fast uh, grading system or uh, things you look for? I think that everybody has their own grading. Grading is very subjective. Some people would value gloss over, uh, um, say, scratching or, or things like that. But generally what I always do is I'm going to start with the piece right in the center, you know, and I want to look at what does it say, uh, what's the subject matter, is there a graphic, what are the colors like, and essentially I try to work my way out of the sign. Uh, I'm, a, I'm looking for color and gloss, I'm looking for graphic, uh, I'm looking for surface scratching, things like that. There's a lot of other people who, you know, are going to put a, a really high grade based on the center of the image. I try to grade based on the entire piece. Sometimes you see a lot of pieces that are going to have outer edge chipping, uh, mounting hole chipping, and things like that. To me, a lot of the times that's distracting from the piece, and so I count that in my grade. Some people, once it gets to the outer edge, they don't like to grade that just because most pieces are going to have chips and nicks and things like that. So I, say, I generally try to tell people, I start at the center, I work my way out based on what the center looks like out to the outer edge. but. People get mad at me all the time. Uh, I, bait, I I grade on a numerical scale of 10 to 1, 10 being the best. I've never even given a, a grade 10. So grade 9 is, is essentially, it better be well mint. People get mad at me all the time because I, you know, I'll grade something well. You know, I mean, yeah, the, the field was fantastic, but it had a, you know, it had a mounting hole chip or it had an edge nick, you know, we're going, you know, 8.75 plus, things like that. Uh, I generally try to plus for, for something like gloss or, or a good graphic. Uh, but if it's, if I say it's a nine, it's pretty well nice. Most of the signs are, is the construction a metal background or a, a sheet of metal with porcelain on it? Or is it more common for them to be painted or what's the construction on signs? So most of the collectible stuff, what people are really after right now is going to be either porcelain or tin lithograph. So, Porcelain was made on, you know, a slightly heavier gauge of steel, mm -hmm. and it was shot just like you would shoot, like a silk screen type of deal. You put one color, fire it on, throw another stencil down, throw another oh, color, okay. fire it on. So you have this great layering in the paint. You have great shelving when you run your fingers across it, things like that, which that's something that collectors love, seeing that real early, early heavy enamel on it uh, where you can run your fingers across it. And then you've got tin, which was made on, you know, a much thinner material, that was either lithographed or also silk screened. So those are going to be the two things that everybody's really going after right now. But you've got plywood, you've got masonite, you've got early uh, solid wood construction, you've got plastic, you know, all kinds of stuff. All right. Final question. It's everybody's favorite. What's the <laughs> dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was, you know, thinking about this and, you know, my dad, he, he's a cool dude, man. And, and we had a cool shop and he's got a cool shop in Ontario, California, right near Pomona. And he, for a long time was a drag racer. And, uh, and, you know, like I said, he's kind of a maverick, kind of a renegade dude. And he would go out and tune his car and things like that. And rather than take it to the track or things like that, we would go on Sunday mornings and he would 
we're just going to rip this thing down Francis Avenue right now, <laughs> you know, and get up to, you know, 150, 200 miles an hour. And it just, I always blew me away, man. But one day he let me ride in it with, you know, no, no seat or anything like that. And it's like, geez, awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still thinking about a buck 50 to 200 miles an hour down a street in the middle of town someplace. Yeah, right next to the police station, fire department, all that. They, they all knew him well. I bet they did. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they did. We've been drinking. We've been drinking. <laughs> I, I got that on the brain. We've been speaking with John uh, Mahovitz. You can find, well, John, take a minute and tell us all the social media links. Where can we find you and what you do? Yeah. Um, well, I spend a lot of time on Facebook with the guys in the groups and things like that. You can find it under my name, John Mahovitz. Uh, I'm also on Instagram as John Mahovitz. Uh, on there. I post a lot of stuff, you know, some of my recent finds and things like that. I'll post stories and photos and things like that. I, I love doing the archive stuff on there, finding old service stations and where they were and what's in it. So if you enjoy that kind of stuff, uh, my Instagram's pretty good. Uh, and then as always, um, if you'd like to email me, John Mahovitz at morpheauctions.com. Um, and up there on Morphe's right now uh, within I would say within the next week, one, uh, one of the, the best gas and oil sales that's ever going to take place is, is uh, in March. So you can find us there. And if you're ever in Denver, Pennsylvania, come on by and hang out. You know, we're here. If you're looking for John online, his last name is M-I-H-O-V-E-T-Z, Mahovitz. John, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Oh, yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. That's a whole pocket of the, of the car world I didn't know anything about. You know, does it make you remember back when you were a kid and there are all those metal cans of stuff and they're sitting in leaves and stuff behind oh, old God, people's yes, barns and you're everywhere, like, eh, everywhere. That, it just seems so stupid. Just a bunch of rusty junk. My what? grandpa had that out on his farm in southern Missouri and it was just piles of crap. And I'm like, hey, who needs it? My my mom's dad, my grandpa on my mom's side had uh, had gasoline signs in his garage in Newton, Kansas. And I didn't I didn't know that. You know, I didn't have any idea that any of that stuff would ever be worth any money. No. It was kind of cool to see, but then, you know, when you're digging around in your grandpa's garage, he wants you to stay the hell out of his tools. What are you doing? (laughs) You're making a mess, boy. Get get out of there. You don't know what you're doing. I'm investing in my future. (laughs) No, you're not. Get out of my garage. (laughs) Thanks so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven radio show and on linkedin as driven radio show podcast you can also find us anywhere fine podcasts are heard i am brett hatfield for mark l grove yep. thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on driven radio mm-hmm.